Well, it was a little over 100 years ago, the year 1914 to be exact, when President Woodrow Wilson, via an act of Congress, proclaimed the second Sunday of May to be Mother's Day. And so we're thankful and happy to honor the mothers of our Faith Bible Church family here today. We're so thankful to God for them and so appreciate you all. And we're thankful to God for all of our mothers, actually, some of whom have departed from this earth. So it's a good time to honor, celebrate, cherish, and be grateful to God. Because ultimately, as we show this honor to our dear moms, we honor God who is the source of all life, who is the one who gave us our mothers according to his sovereign grace and wisdom. So our specific mothers and fathers, our parents, are the way that he chose to bring us into this world to give us life. So today's sermon title is The High Calling and Worth of Motherhood. And that's quite the understatement because the calling and worth of motherhood comes from God Almighty himself. He's the creator, the designer, and the assigner who knows how all things are supposed to work. And in all societies of the world, it starts with the family, husband and wife, father and mother. How incredibly important is the role of the mother in the family and in the home. But I think we all are aware we're living in a world where the family is being attacked, where traditional and biblical roles of husbands and wives and fathers and mothers are being assaulted, with the result being children raised by the state and schools and social media. And society at large suffers. And we see that societal downfall in many ways, uh, from more frequent mass shootings to rising rates of depression and suicide and mental disorders amongst our young people. Satan's assault on the family and on motherhood is very strong. The wisdom of this fallen world has begotten a culture of folly and death, and this is what happens when God's word is rejected. But, as the old hymn goes, his truth abideth still. Amen? I'd like to remind and refresh us this Mother's Day morning on the high calling and worth of motherhood. And let me just, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. This is Peter writing, right, to the believers. He says, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And then he says in verse 15, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So... I want to remind, and not just remind, but also refresh us on this high calling of motherhood. And it comes from God, and so I said it was an understatement, uh, the sermon title. It's a gloriously high calling. It's a transcendent, um, divine calling. And its worth is not just high, but invaluable, inestimable, and priceless. 
So uh, before we start uh, talking a little bit more uh, specifically about this, can I give you a note of understanding that not all women have been called to be mothers, um, whether due to having the gift of singleness or being a wife who is unable to have children, being barren. Hey, I want to say that singleness is also a wonderful gift, wonderful call of God, no less noble than the calling of motherhood. It's a calling that sets one apart for complete and undivided devotion and service to the things of the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians 7. Barrenness, being unable to have children for some, as difficult as this is, is God's sovereign will and providence. And in that, he has a different plan and purpose for these women to bring glory to himself in a, in a different way. But whether single or barren, God's love is no less, nor is his calling for their lives diminished. He is causing all of this to work together for good to those who love him for the glory of his own name. And let me just, as the last thing here, say that all are called to be spiritual mothers and spiritual sisters in the church. And what an amazing, crucial privilege and responsibility and role this is to the church and to God and how we as Christians should value them. So with that, let us be reminded today of some just basics from Scripture, which describe this high calling and worth of motherhood, and which is so counterculture, so different than what we're used to hearing from the world. Can you turn to Titus chapter 2 with me? We're going to just be in just a couple different passages today. Titus chapter 2. Verses 3 to 5, and if we're not in the habit of reading the Bible um, each day, each week, each month, every year, uh, we might not come upon passages like this which are so specific and so direct. But Titus chapter 2, verse 3, and uh, we'll just read verses 3 to 5 here. It says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so the word of God is certainly being dishonored, blasphemed in our world and has completely rejected this, this passage, um, amongst other things in his word, obviously, uh, the gospel first and foremost. Um, but even as I read that passage, for some, it might seem incredibly antiquated, incredibly old-fashioned and out of date. But this is God's timeless Word, which is relevant in all ages. And there's a lot in this passage, but um, some of it is familiar to some of us. But Paul's instructing Titus on how the women in the church should function, how the older, more mature women ought to model and teach godly character and behavior for the younger women. So these older, more mature women were to encourage the young women, encourage them 
to, to spiritually support them, to uplift them, sometimes even to admonish them. But it says there in verse 5, to encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, and kind, being subject to their own husbands, again, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And I just want to focus on that, highlight that, that phrase, workers at home. And so, again, this seems incredibly um, old-fashioned and not uh, real to today's world. But that word means one who is devoted to home duties, okay, preoccupied with taking care of domestic affairs. Literally, it means a home worker, right? You guys in school, you young ones in school get homework. Well, that word literally means home worker. You might say a homemaker, Homemaker, um, as we were doing our taxes and uh, we're filling out the tax forms and they asked for my wife's uh, occupation, homemaker and part-time administrator. But the idea is that the wife, the woman, is caring for the home. Uh, Surveys show that in the year 2000, which at this point is over 20 years ago, about 80% of women aged 25 to 54 were involved in the workplace. And more and more women are entering or staying in the workforce after having a baby. These numbers are interesting in light of a survey by Family Circle magazine, which revealed that 68% of the women surveyed would prefer to stay at home with their children if economically feasible. And so I'm going to quote uh, Pastor John Phillips here. And uh, he writes... Quote, our feminist culture urges women to become career women and enormous pressure is put on them to enter the workforce. Many marriages are wrecked because working wives become discontented with and independent of their husbands. Working mothers face enormous problems and so do their families. Many children have strayed because their mothers were off to work when they were needed at home. He goes on, the pressures of modern life notwithstanding, the Bible ethic is always best because it is based on the highest wisdom. Whose wisdom is that, folks? God. God's. Its mandate that wives should be keepers at home, workers at home, ought to be the blueprint that Christian wives and mothers follow. Their tasks might not seem as exciting as supervising the production division of a big corporation, or as interesting as teaching psychology or some subject to young people in college. But in the light of eternity, the role of keepers at home is infinitely more worthwhile. Susanna Wesley, who is the mother of Charles and John Wesley, the great hymn writer and pastor, um, might well be considered the patron saint, so to speak, of all of those women who stay at home and raise their their children for God. She was the mother of 19 children. She was well-educated and had strong convictions. She homeschooled her children individually and diligently. Her piety, devotion, and Christian character were reproduced in her children. And the impact that she made on the world will never be known this side of eternity. But with John and Charles Wesley, came, who came out of the home of Susanna Wesley, and with them, came the Methodist revival, end quote. So 
So just to say that it is a high and holy calling to be a wife and mother who is a worker at home. And I have a, a few pet peeve um, phrases uh, that, that I hear people say sometimes, and I think I've mentioned this in the past or to some of you personally, when people say good luck, right, or, oh, we got, we got lucky. Um, Christians don't believe in luck, actually, and Christians don't get lucky. <laughs> we believe God is sovereign, and we get what? We get blessed. And so um, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is the, uh, when, when people say, oh, she's just a homemaker, okay, or she's just a housewife, as they used to say uh, a little bit in older days. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's a, it's not accurate to say she's just a homemaker. Okay, the role of motherhood and being the one who takes care of the home, supports her husband, pours life into her children, uh, this comes from God. God who knows more, he knows how men and women are designed to flourish and be satisfied. And this comes from fulfilling the call that he has made. And once again, uh, this is completely opposite to everything that we hear um, in every other aspect of life, perhaps except for like right now, like this moment here for some. So let me share some insights from a woman named Dorothy Patterson, uh, who wrote an article for uh, this book that John Piper and Wayne Grudem uh, put together this over 30 years ago now called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, I commend the entire article, actually the whole book, to you. Um, but the article by Dorothy Patterson, she is the wife of a pastor and former SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, President Paige Patterson. And um, she writes this, and uh, let me share this with you. Quote, Few women realize what great service they are doing for mankind and for the kingdom of Christ when they provide a shelter for the family and good mothering, the foundation on which all else is built. A mother builds something far more magnificent than any cathedral, the dwelling place for an immortal soul. She writes in parentheses, both her child's fleshly tabernacle and his earthly abode, his home. No professional pursuit so uniquely combines the most menial tasks with the most meaningful opportunities. She goes on. Women have been liberated right out of the genuine freedom they enjoyed for centuries to oversee the home, rear the children, and pursue personal creativity. They have been brainwashed to believe that the absence of a titled payroll occupation enslaves a woman to failure, boredom, and imprisonment within the confines of home. Though feminism speaks of liberation and self-fulfillment and personal rights and breaking down barriers, these phrases inevitably mean the opposite. In fact, the opposite is true because a salary, job, and titled position can inhibit a woman's natural nesting instinct and maternity by inverting her priorities so that failures almost inevitably come in the rearing of her own children and the building of an earthly shelter for those whom she loves most. So she says, in our quest to be all we are meant to be, let us not forget what we are meant to be as women. The secular presuppositions of the present age as well as one's own assumptions and priorities, must continually be tested against the sure written word of God, which warns us, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First John four, verse one. So I remind you again, Titus two says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. They're to encourage the young women. And part of that encouragement is to be sensible, pure workers at home so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So it's something as we continue the sermon to go and and think about, search our own hearts to. And I want to turn I want us to turn to Proverbs 31 now. Proverbs chapter 31. And uh, in my years here at Faith Bible Church, I've done a number of Mother's Day sermons and I've always avoided Proverbs 31 (laughs) because I feel like everybody knows it and it's just done so frequently. It's kind of the typical Mother's Day, you know, passage um, uh, on this subject and everything. And uh, but this time I'm taking the attitude that it's 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 so overt that it's covert and it's almost like it's hidden. So we're just going to bring it out into the open a little bit. Proverbs 31, um, starting in verse 10. And uh, I'm actually going to read verses 10 to 31, because, again, for some, uh, this is, is not so frequently heard. Maybe for many of us here at Faith Bible Church, it is. We know it. But um, God's word is just so good. And um, let me just say that with the understanding that the Proverbs 31 woman is not one specific actual woman. Okay, This famous chapter and, and passage contains a, a full-length portrait of a godly woman, maybe a, a heroine of sorts of those um, Christians, Christian women who want to be faithful. So um, even its poetic style, the acrostic, it's used as a literary device to emphasize that these characteristics describe God's ideal woman, okay, a committed homemaker, uh, a chaste helpmate, an upright and God-fearing woman of strength. And it's part of the words of King Lemuel. I'm not going to read the first nine verses, but um, it's the words that his mother taught him. And it's like King Lemuel's mother is saying, hey, young man, listen to me, your mama. This is the kind of woman you should be seeking. And so we see here timeless words of wisdom which describe the spiritual excellence of a godly woman of strength. And so... I won't ask you to stand, but Proverbs 31, I'm just going to read starting in verse 10 to the end of the book of Proverbs. Okay, so it says an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. 
Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So verse 10 there once again says an excellent wife who can find that word excellent, the Hebrew word chayel means noble, virtuous, fine. And it denotes strength and ability and valor and dependability, trustworthiness. So it's referring to the wife as a a woman of strength. She's strong spiritually, morally, mentally, even physically as we read the passage. This woman makes a difference in her home, in the neighborhood, in society in general. And uh, may I just say I I love... um, I love reading uh, <laughs> the notes of encouragement that our sister Lisa sometimes sends to my wife uh, just as way of encouragement and just reminds her of what a difference she's making um, in many people's lives in the church and our family and beyond. So encouraging to hear that. But Proverbs 31, this string of pearls that we see um, following verse 10, we'll get back to verse 10 at the end. But verses 11 and 12 says that, Basically, she loves and prioritizes her husband. And this is part of the high calling, part of the high and holy calling. Uh, for the men's time, our men of the word yesterday, we looked a, a little bit at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 22 to 24 by way of reminder once again. Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why is this? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And the parallel passage in Colossians 3, verse 18 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, as is fitting, as is appropriate in the Lord. So Titus 2, verse 4 again says, Older women encourage the young ones to love their husbands. So a worker at home, a faithful woman, she makes her husband a priority. The marriage relationship takes understanding and commitment to the roles of husband and wife. And as some of you ladies know, it, it, it takes much effort and work. Proverbs 31 here indicates that a godly woman continually looks for ways to do good for her husband. She seeks to build him up, to build up her home and her children. And this starts with her marriage. Hey, rather than tear it all down, right? That's the opposite. Uh, as part of our devotions last night, as a family read Proverbs 14. And verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, 
but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Okay, and so, 31, Sarah, it says here, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Okay, he entrusts his heart. He entrusts the running of the home, raising of children, finances to his wife. And it doesn't mean the husband does nothing in those areas. Okay, he just neglects them. We talked about that yesterday as men of the word, right? It doesn't mean we just leave it all up to her. No, the husband's the leader. He's the protector. He's the provider of the home. But the husband and wife in their God-designed roles, are a team together. And so what they work out together, what they decide together, what they figure out together, the wife seeks to guard and care for to the best of her ability. And so verse 31 of Proverbs, or Proverbs 31, verse 23, says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And, that, and those gates refer to the, the public places where the leaders of the city met. And so it is saying that her husband is respected and esteemed by his peers. And this is in part because of the excellent, strong helpmate he has in his wife. She's worked and committed to a life together with him. And her part is in helping him achieve all that God has called him to be. And so, once again, even as I say those words, I, I feel as if it is very, very counterculture. It says counterculture as it gets. What? She's, she's for her husband? Her role is to help and support her husband, be what he's called to be? What about her? Hey, but this is what a, a selfless life is. Being more concerned for others than for yourself Philippians chapter 2, this is the very definition of humility of mind. This is Mark 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The good of her husband is her priority, and she loves to serve him. And we could say more on that, but um, there's a big passage here, and we're only going to cover a portion of it. Verses 13 to 22 also tells us that she's devoted and enterprising as a joyful homemaker. She's devoted and enterprising as a joyful homemaker. A large portion of this Proverbs 31 describes her devotion as a homemaker. And verse 13, we see the enterprising nature of it. Someone said, devotion in the heart results in diligence of the hands and is a delight for the soul. And may I say to you, precious, dear Ladies of FBC, women, wives, devotion in the woman's heart results in diligence in her hands and delight for her soul. And let's look at what she does even briefly here. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax, works with her hands in delight, making clothes, takes care of clothing for her family, as some of the other verses mention. Wool is material for, for warmer clothes, and flax is uh, a thinner material, um, a linen meant for when the weather becomes hot, and so she looks for it, she seeks it out. Verse 14 says she, she travels. Okay? She's like merchant ships. Um, she travels to bring quality food, food that you can't find just any place. She's like a merchant and trader who will look for the best quality at the best prices. She's not satisfied with just slapping together meals, and she wants to provide what her husband and children would enjoy. And so I think we, we know, us, us men, husbands, men in general know that this is hard work. Um, and uh, we especially know it when our wives go away for a little bit. 
And uh, we're faced with that task uh, three times a day, every day. And um, uh, lots of diligent planning, responsible management of finances, uh, takes thought, takes energy, takes creativity, um, making these meals day after day to continually provide food to a bunch of picky eaters. Okay, picky eaters. Um, this requires selflessness again. And it comes from only from following and knowing Christ as the selfless Savior. Okay, verse 15, it goes on. It says, She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. And then verse 18 says, Her lamp does not go out at night. Okay, in other words, this godly woman, godly women never sleep. Just kidding. <laughs> Not really. But this just indicates her devotion. Okay? She's going at it uh, at all times. Her diligence, her desire to keep at the task of homemaking. This is a job. It's a privilege. She finds worth uh, through in all of their, her energies. It's worth all of her energies. She's willing to sacrifice even precious sleep to fulfill the call. Verse 15 says also portions. She gives portions to her maidens. Perhaps this refers to food, but others have said that um, it, it probably refers to tasks or work. Sometimes women had servants in their homes back in the day, and so the lady of the house would assign tasks uh, for, for that day. So there's an aspect of administration and leadership here as well. Uh, verses 16 and 24, speaking of enterprising ways, uh, besides all her duties to prioritize her husband and provide loving care for her children and food and clothing, to bring quality um, things, uh, everything to pre- prepare day after day, to administer tasks and servants and everything, this excellent homemaker is also involved in entrepreneurship. She somehow is able to earn extra cash by purchasing a field, it says, planting a vineyard. Verse 24 says she makes clothing items and sells them. Hey, this, this strong homemaker, here's the point, looks for ways to benefit the family and the home with, God, with her God-given skills that he's given. She doesn't use her skills and abilities and enterprise to get herself out of the house, but instead it's to enhance her home. Her goal is to creatively look for ways that she can bless her husband and her family. And she doesn't do this merely to fulfill her own ambitions and desires. But along the way, as she seeks to bless her family, do you think that she is being fulfilled as well? Yes? Okay. Um, Again, to, to quote Dorothy Patterson here. Quote, she says, Feminism is a social movement that demands it all. The actress Catherine Hepburn said in an interview, I'm not sure any woman can successfully pursue a career and be a mother at the same time. The trouble with women today is that they want everything, but no one can have it all. I haven't been handicapped by children, nor have I handicapped children by bringing them into the world and going ahead with my career. Another actress, Joanne Woodward, says, My career has suffered because of the children. And my children have suffered because of my career. I've been torn and haven't been able to function fully in either arena. I don't know one person who does both successfully. And I know a lot of working mothers. And then another lady, Golda Meir of Israel, confessed that she suffered nagging doubts 
about the price her two children paid for her career, saying, you can get used to anything if you have to, even to feeling perpetually guilty. Dorothy Patterson writes, each of these women chose to work not because she had to, had to do so to provide necessities for her family or because her husband demanded it, but because of personal gain and fame or because of what she perceived to be a contribution more valuable to the nation or world than full-time motherhood. In each case, attention to the child was less important than the career. And so we could say more on that, but um, the assumption today is that women will work outside the home. It's a given at this point. Um, But again, I think it's helpful for all of us, whether you're in that season or not, and whether you're a man or a woman, a husband, a wife, a father or a mother, all of us here at Faith Bible Church, all Christians in all the churches, I think it's good to ask, is that a biblical perspective? Is that a biblical assumption? Is that God's priority for women? I think it's incredibly important to ask today, which, again, is really not even being asked anymore and hardly discussed. There are some women who are working or planning to work due to financial necessity. And uh, we kind of get that, right, especially here in California. Um, But then there are many others who are working because, again, they're following the ways of the world and because that is just their preference. And so we must ask, dear church, what is God's priority for a woman? What is his calling? Um, It seems that the Bible is simple and clear, that the woman's priority is to diligently tend to their homes and everyone who resides in their home, and not to mention their neighboring community, not to mention their service and ministry in the church. I mean, how many hours do we have in the day, dear people? Okay, and, and obviously service and ministry in the church is for all Christians. However young or old you are, if you're a Christian, you are, you're supposed to be building up the church. And so does this mean that women can never, ever, in any circumstance or seasons of life, work outside the home? No, that's not what we're saying. But again, we really, really need to ask the, the two crucial questions and in light of Titus 2.5, in light of Proverbs 31, in light of the whole counsel of God, when he says the focus and priority is, is at the home, two questions. Number one, why are you working outside the home? And along with that, why do you desire to work at a job outside the home? Why? What is, what is the motivation? And that's the all-important heart question. And then the second question is, can you truly fulfill your God-given responsibilities at home and to your husband and children while also working outside the home? And this is the all-important biblical, logical, practical question. Uh, Lisa Hughes, a pastor's wife, who is the woman speaker at this year's IOCA National Convention coming this summer, she put it like this, addressing women. Biblically, there's no disputing the fact that God desires you to make your home and family the priority. And that can only happen when you are at home. Yet how much you need to be at home in order to fulfill your God-given priorities depends on you, what season of life you're in, the size of your family, 
the ages and needs of your children and your husband's needs. What you can know with certainty is that you are to work at caring for the multitude of things related to your home and family, end quote. And so after all is said and done, dear church, um, here's the question for us, each of us once again today. Um, and, and it's for all of us to consider, but it's addressed to the, the ladies, right? Is being someone's wife and the children's mother really worth the investment of a life, of your life? Does it take preparation of skills and concentration of energies and the commitment of both to keep a home, to be a homemaker? So I want us to just look at Proverbs 31 again, verse 18, um, looking at her her attitude, her motivation. Verse 18a says that she senses that her gain is good. Okay, that's, that's what she perceives. That's what she feels. That's what, she, that's what her perspective is. Her gain, her gain is good through this fulfilling of motherhood. And verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. And she takes joy in this God-given role and priority and calling for her as a, as a worker at home, someone who is a faithful, godly wife and mother, is doing all of those things. One pastor says that's, that's the key. She loves the family and she loves her husband, and it's the love of her heart that puts delight in her work. If she felt like the reason for her to live was to fulfill herself, everything she had to do for someone else she would hate. But because she knows her reason to be is to give herself for the joy of those she loves, the delight of her heart becomes the delight of her hands. She smiles at the future, right? Um, the previous verse, one translation says that her hands are active after the pleasure of her heart. There's joy in the most menial task because the motive is love, and the love motive inside pushes delight into the hands. And so we see self-denial clearly behind the scenes here. She's not concerned about her own pleasure, ambitions. She's concerned about the joy and delight of her family, which gives her joy and delight because she's consumed with love for them, sacrificial love. So she does all of those things with joy, end quote. Okay, so as we start the beginning of the end here, uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10 says, An excellent wife who can find... Right? By the way, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Who can find a trustworthy man? And just to give a reminder to the men. But uh, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. In other words, she's invaluable. Her worth is far above jewels, rubies. In no quantity of, of precious stones, the most precious stones, can be equal to her worth. Motherhood is an incredibly high calling, holy, glorious, of inestimable worth, priceless according to God himself. So, dear church, I I want us not to be swayed here in May of 2023 by this world's ways. Our minds and hearts must not be molded and shaped by the world's wisdom, but we must continually be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, verse 2, renewed by the truth of God's word. So we're not quite at the end yet, but we will 
We'll get there soon. Okay. Let me give a last quote from Dorothy Pattern. She says, quote, in the scripture, the concern of godly women was not discrimination in her vocation, but rather the barrenness of the womb. Women were not pining away and pleading with the almighty God to be priests or prophets. They were praying for the blessing of bearing children. And whether it's Sarah or Rachel or Hannah, these women were brokenhearted over their childlessness. But rearing the next generation is a coveted task, despite the unprecedented attacks on motherhood. Some women want to limit parenthood to the labor room, settling for a maternity sabbatical in which they birth the baby during a few weeks leave from work before rushing back to their lofty pursuits. A lady named Mrs. Uderlinde returned to her job as an executive secretary at an insurance company four months after the birth of her triplets. And she said, I could only do that with the help of two full-time housekeepers. And she continued saying, working is easier than being at home, but I give the children my total attention when I am at home. Luckily, they don't all want it at the same time. Luckily, my favorite phrase. uh, But um, Patterson writes, motherhood is both a demanding and rewarding profession. No one, not teacher, preacher, or psychologist, has the same opportunity to mold minds, nurture bodies, and develop potential usefulness like a mother. It is both practical and consistent with the basic qualities that God has given male and female that the woman who bears and nurses the baby should care for the young and for the dwelling in which the young live. Lastly, despite pressures and difficulties, the role of motherhood can be overwhelmingly satisfying and amazingly productive because the result of really competent mothering will be passed on from generation to generation. Products in the marketplace may come and go, but generation after generation, we produce our sons and daughters. A child needs his mother to be all there, to be focused on him, to recognize his problems and needs, to support, guide, see, listen to him, love, and want him. End quote. And so um, there was a... By way of illustration, a young woman who wrote to Dear Abby, back when they used to write to Dear Abby, and she wrote describing her mother as a professional woman who collected a husband, a daughter, and a dog to enrich her life. And according to the daughter, the only one not damaged by this enrichment was the dog. So going back to Susanna Wesley, um, just, again, very brilliant, godly, well-educated mother of sons who shook two continents for Christ. She wrote this. Listen, dear ladies, I am content to fill a little space if God be glorified. Dear woman, I want to encourage you with that because what might seem like a a little space, if it's done for the glory of God, is going to reap into fruit into eternity. And forget about the pleasures of this world. Eternity for the glory of God. And Susanna Wesley described her famous, now famous, childbearing commitment with these words. She said, no one can, without renouncing the world, in the most literal sense, observe, follow my method. And there are few, if any, that would entirely devote above 20 years of the prime of life in hopes to save the souls of their children, which they think may be saved without so much ado. 
for that was my principal intention, however unskillfully and unsuccessfully managed. End quote. What a humble, godly lady. So once again, Proverbs 31.25 says that she smiles at the future. A John Piper said that the reason God knows the future is because he plans the future and accomplishes it. So the, the, the faithful, godly, God-fearing woman knows this and loves this, and so she's able to smile at the future because her trust is in the God who has planned it, all according to his design and purpose and will. So let's end with verse 30 here. It says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Before that, it says, Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And the key to the virtuous wife and woman is right there. Her excellence, her greatness comes from knowing God, believing the gospel loving Jesus Christ enough to follow him, and loving him enough to die to self and live to him. And many women are charming, but charm is misleading because it promises a lifetime of happiness. It promises a lot of things, right? People try to get a lot of things by charm, and um, that accomplishes much, but it cannot and does not deliver in the end. Many women are physically attractive, but we know that physical beauty is only temporary. It fades away like the flowers of the field. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says to the women, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And so the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord, this is the indispensable core of a godly woman like this. And though she doesn't fear the natural elements, verse 21 says that she doesn't fear the snow, the cold. Um, she does fear the Lord. This is reverence, devotion, holy fear, and love for God. Such a woman deserves to share in the fruits of her labors and to receive praise from her family and those who know her. She's worthy to be praised, and that's how the proverb ends. And so, dear people, as your pastor, I, I might be the last man on earth uh, preaching this kind of message. And um, just like maybe I'm going to be the last man on earth who still opens the car door for my wife, but hier stehe ich, ich kann nicht ander, which means here I stand, I can do no other. This is my conviction from the word of God. So I pray that this is encouraging, maybe challenging, but a praise and encouragement for our faithful, godly moms and all of us who believe God's word and trust in him. And as we seek to disciple and shepherd and pass this on to the younger women, um, I pray that it will truly be a blessing to all and, again, show honor and glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And despite the counterculturalness and the unpopular word, I pray that we would be bold to proclaim it. And we would do that in a spirit of gentleness and love and care. 
and with great understanding, Lord, with the challenges that come with. But thank you, God, that you know. You know how your people, how men and women are to, are designed to flourish and to live in such a way that will satisfy their souls in you as they seek to glorify you. And I pray, God, that this would just um, bear much fruit um, as we as we heard this this uh, message today. So thank you again, God, for loving us so much and giving us your word. And I pray that we would strive to live by it. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.